Welcome. The parish is a church community in Alpharetta, Georgia, practicing the way of Jesus for the sake of others. Talks like these are just one part of how we gather to be deeply reshaped by Jesus. So we invite you to join us any Sunday morning for a full church gathering. You can find more information or contact us by visiting our website at parishanglican.org. Colossians 2, 12 through 13, and 3, 1 through 4. When you were buried with him in baptism, you were also raised with him through faith and the power of God, who raised him from the dead. And when you were dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive together with him. So if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Will. All right, well, I am going to keep this short today because I know it's real hot, um, and uh, I only have the sun on the back of my head, <laughs> but you all have to face it full on. Um, so I will try to keep this brief, but I do want to wrap up. This is the final Sunday of the Easter season. Easter is not a day in the church calendar. It's a seven week season. Today's the last Sunday of that. And then we move into the season of Pentecost starting next Sunday. We are going to blow the doors off the place next Sunday. Um, I'm really excited about some of the plans that we have as we celebrate the Holy Spirit coming to live with us, to bring us into life God. Um, so uh, what we've been talking about this Easter, though, I want to bring that to a close. We've been wrestling with this idea of what does it mean to be a Christian in terms of my inner nature, my identity? How do we answer the question in light of Christ? Who am I? What is my name? How am I to live? in this world as a Christian. And we've been discussing these two ways of being. There's the false self, which is the outer nature, the flesh, the old man or woman, to use Paul's language, that is wasting away. And then there is the Christ self, that we are being renewed by, renewed into day by day, into the knowledge or likeness of God. And so Jesus is inviting that old life, that old life that wants to be God and therefore is always at war with God. Jesus is inviting that part of ourselves to fall away that the Christ self that is made in the likeness of Jesus may rise up in us. The process of that happening, and it is a process, it happens over a lifetime. That process is what we call spiritual formation, that we are being reshaped into the likeness of God, which is, by the way, the likeness we were made in way before sin sin entered the story. In the very beginning, we were made in the image of God, and Jesus is restoring us into that image. That restoration into spiritual formation is the point and purpose of the Christian life. It is not the extra credit work. It's not the bonus for those who are particularly pious. It is what it means to be a Christian. 
is that we might become more and more like Jesus and then image Jesus into the world that we live in. And so God's spirit creatively hovers over the chaos of our lives, just like uh, the spirit did in the beginning in Genesis 1.1. The spirit hovers over the chaos and then creatively comes to shape a Genesis week in our lives, a new creation in our lives, an Easter week in which we are drawn out of the grave of our old life and into a newness of life. And this Easter, we've been walking through the pattern, not the prescription, because it's not a prescription, but there is a general pattern or template that we can follow of how God reshapes us into the image of Christ. And you can see that on your worship guide. We've talked about it for weeks now, so I won't go too deeply into it other than to just remind you that that path functions both as the overall journey we go through in our Christian life, but it also represents the way we are conformed into Christ-likeness in any given area of our lives where we want to say yes to Jesus. And he leads us through this process until the Christ self rises in us in that area. Um, I want to explore today the call to die and rise from one more angle. Because if you've been following along as we've talked about the false self, it's a pretty bleak picture. Uh, What we have described as a manipulative, fearful, indulgent, protective, self-promoting self that is utterly opposed to letting go of control of its life. And this is baked into who we all are. It's not just a coat we can take off when we come into Christ-likeness or when we follow in the way of Jesus. It is entangled and enmeshed and pervasive in our lives. And so the problem with the false self is this. It is fundamentally self-referenced, which means that even if the false self tries to move into Christ-likeness, it does so in a self-referenced, self-centered way. So the attempt of the false self to earn an effort away out of the false self only entrenches it deeper into the false self. There is nothing that the false self can do to try to step into healing that won't, by definition, be a self-reliant step. And so I don't like my anxious, manipulative, selfish, protective self, but all I know to do is to try to kill it off by trying even harder. And all that does is move me deeper into self-referenced living. And then if it doesn't work, I start lashing out at myself. Try harder, Jordan. Do better, Jordan. Right, so now my inner critic's raging and I'm beating myself up, I beating I up, right? What what are we describing here? Still an ultimately self-centered life. It's a self-obsessed life. It's just now negatively self-obsessed instead of positively self-obsessed. And if we try to wrap religion in it, now we end up with a religious version of the false self that has only insulated its falseness further from God by using a bunch of God language that is not actually surrendered to God. And this is where we see manipulative, toxic religion show up in our world. So basically what we're saying here is this is a radical problem. It is at the heart of the gospel. This is the moment in the movie where the music crescendos and the person looks around and realizes the walls have closed in and there is no way out. In the false self's resources, there is no way out. And the radical solution that is the gospel is that when we cannot get to God, Romans 5, 8, while we were still weak, at just the right moment, Christ died for unchristlike people. 
God shows his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so when the false self couldn't come to God, God comes to us in the false self to offer Christ's self to us. It is all grace. There is no way that we step into a Christ-like self that is not grace. All our job is, is to say the surrendered yes, to cooperate with Christ as he teaches us a new way to live. The challenge is this, a new way to live means the old way to live has to die. And we're pretty comfortable with the old way to live, even when it's not working for us. And so we talked about this last week. The first thing is that the false self needs to have an encounter with the death of Jesus. The false self cannot be healed until it has an encounter with the death of Jesus. But we only know one thing to do with death in our culture, and that's to avoid it at all cost. If I feel like I am under threat, if I feel like my survival is at stake, I'm going to avoid that at all costs. I don't know if you've ever had a near-death experience. Um, I had one about six years ago. Uh, and it was at a John Mark McMillan concert. Um, I was in Cincinnati at a John Mark McMillan concert, uh, and I was with some friends, and uh, we were in Cincinnati, we were at the show, and we got there a few hours early because some of the people had tickets to go spend time with John Mark McMillan, and the rest of us didn't want want to spend the extra 20 bucks. So we've got an hour to kill and, uh, and we don't know what to do with ourselves. And so we're looking around going, what should we do with this next hour? There's nothing around. And then one of my friends, a guy named Broderick, I wish you could all meet Broderick. He's amazing. He goes, hey, look across the interstate. There's a Bass Pro Shops over there. I don't even like Bass Pro Shops. I don't know who would want to spend time at a Bass Pro Shops. I don't, but we have nothing better to do. So he's like, let's go to Bass Pro Shops. It's on the other side of Interstate 74 from where we are. I should mention at this point, Broderick, last I heard, I haven't seen him in a few years, but the last thing I heard about him is that he was training for the Navy SEALs by spending as much time underwater as he could without breathing in order to teach his body to go without oxygen. This is the guy I've decided to follow across an interstate in Cincinnati. So he's like, let's just run across the interstate. We'll go to Bass Pro Shops. I don't even want to go to Bass Pro Shops, but here I go. So he just jets across the interstate. And I'm looking around like, I don't know how to do this. I'm like, I'm a rule follower. I don't know how to cross an interstate. And I'm like looking and I'm hesitant and I start counting lanes. How do I get across? Well, there's one, two, median, one, two, and then I'm across lanes. So I start taking off across the interstate. I cross the first lane, I cross the second lane, and I think I'm good, and now I turn and I look the other direction to see what the oncoming traffic is. Here's the problem. I forgot to count the on-ramp. So I am actually still standing in the middle of Interstate 74, looking this way for traffic, and of course there is none because the traffic is coming this way. I turn around and look over here, and there is a minivan flooring it toward me. I hear someone yell van. I jump back out of the interstate and it slams past me. And it was like, I spent the next hour just repenting to Jesus for my stupidity because I came so close to dying in order to get to a Bass Pro Shops. And so uh, if you have ever had a near-death experience like me, 
then you know that like it scares the living daylights out of you. We don't want to die. We don't want to die. And how much more so a real death experience. Like if life is not working for us, what we try to do is double down. What we try to do is try harder. What we try to do is hustle more and do whatever it takes to dodge death. If my way of life is not working, I try to resuscitate it. Often even our prayers are prayers to resuscitate that which God is actually asking us to let go of. And we wonder why is the prayer not being answered? And the reality is if we had eyes to see it, what Jesus is saying is it's got to die because in Christianity, when something dies, that is what has to come before new life. And we're trying so hard that we keep the false self on life support. Right at the precipice of what we hope might change in our life, we keep the false self on life support. We keep resuscitating it because we are just so terrified that God won't come through if we actually let it go. And so the false self must have an encounter with the death of Jesus in order to rise into resurrection. Now, once I know the false self is robbing me, it's robbing me of joy. It's robbing me of life. Well, now I want to lash out at it. And we're tempted to see it as the enemy. And so if you're anything like me, driven and perfectionistic, you start now turning toward part of yourself as if it were the enemy. And all the false self knows to do with its enemies is lash out at them. So now I am whipping myself. I'm trying to get myself to, to try harder, to, to follow God more that's what we know to do with our enemies. But what does Jesus say to do with our enemies? He says to love them and forgive them. And I wonder what it might look like for me and you to turn to the parts of our lives that are estranged from Jesus and love them and forgive them. And so the false self needs an encounter with the death of Jesus, but the false self ultimately needs an encounter with the love of Jesus. Because it is only when we believe we are loved, that we are able to let go of trying so hard to protect ourselves. Often we end up believing a version of the gospel that is less than the actual gospel because we're so afraid that the good news is too good to be true. Like it's too good to be true that I can come to the father by grace. It's too good to be true that I have a place in the father's home that I don't have to earn. It's too good to be true that Jesus really loves me this much. So I will say yes to those things at a mental ascent level, but then still live as if it all relies on me. And instead we are invited to really receive the love of Jesus. And to the extent we do so, and this is really the heart of what I want to say today, and we'll end with this. To the degree we receive the good news of how deeply we are loved, the false self can let go. Because I no longer need to function in a role that is God's to function in my life. I don't need to be afraid because I already have a protector. I don't need to be indulgent because I already have a provider. 
I don't need all of the things that the false self is trying to do for me. Who else is going to look out for you, Jordan? Who else is going to protect you? The reality is Jesus comes with great love, and to the degree we can receive it, the false self's role becomes redundant and is no longer needed, and we can let go. And we can let go. So instead of whipping ourselves, we do better to cry out, oh God, I have this deep place in my heart and I don't know what to do about it. And I don't have the resources to fix it, but would you come to me in my brokenness and show me that I am loved so that I can release my need to be God in this area of my life. And then we do, when we do so, we detach from the life support system of the false self. And we move into life in Christ. And so friends, Jesus wants to change our lives in deep ways, the anxiety, the fear, the anger, the betrayal, the obsessive compulsions, the places in our lives, the wounds that we can't stop reacting out of, wherever your false self is showing up at that point, I wanna encourage you to pray for a fresh revelation of the love of Jesus. The love of Jesus, because the surprise ending of the story is that when it is encountered by love, the false self can slip into the garden tomb with Jesus. And the good news is the gardener hangs out in the garden tomb. And where we go to die, we rise up in the one who is brought into new life. And in our hidden hearts, the one we're crucified with becomes the one we rise with. So I want to end with this. We're going to take five minutes or so and just do a little practice here. And I'll invite Josh to come up and uh, play some keys for us. I'll invite you just into a moment of reflection. Again, I know it's warm. Just do your best to just look inside right now and become aware of the intersection of God and your heart. And what I'm going to encourage you to do is start to communicate with a place in your false self that comes to mind. Often we want others to hear the good news of Jesus. We have a whole wing of the church that is fundamentally devoted to the practice of sharing the good news of Jesus with those who need it. And yet often we have not evangelized ourselves. Brennan Manning tells the story of realizing how much his imposter is what he called it. His false self was stealing from him. And rather than trying to whip it into shape, he sat down and he wrote a letter to himself, introducing himself to the gospel, introducing himself to Jesus. And so let's do that right now in your own heart. Look for a place where you need to be told and introduced to the good news because you don't really believe it. Where have you lost touch with God's presence? And is there a point where you are regularly experiencing a stuckness right now 
that you sense God is inviting you into something new. It's time to admit that the self-reliant plan is not working. And you can justify yourself and prove yourself and the next day it feels empty again. And so right now, would you take a moment and bring your own heart to Jesus? Tell yourself the good news and bring the broken parts of your heart along with you. Sit with them in kindness and have an encounter with the love of God. May that encounter lead to an encounter with the death of God so that you can let go of that which needs to ascend into God's care and like Jesus be raised into a newness of life. Friends, as we wrap up this Easter season, here's what I'm gonna encourage you to do. I'm gonna encourage you at some point in the next seven days to pull out a journal and write a letter to yourself, bringing that part that feels estranged from God into the presence of Jesus, sharing the good news with yourself, wherever you need to hear it, that you might be able to let go of all that is trying to be God, whatever that costs, whatever the loss of that is, whatever the trade-off is that has to be made there, that the Christ self might rise in you. And if you need help doing that, we put in your worship guide uh, an adaptation of an exercise from Steve Cuss, where you can teach yourself the gospel and displace a lesser gospel with the good news of Jesus. So you can use that as a prompt. But I encourage you, take some time this week. Because ultimately, all of this is meaningless if you're just sitting in the sun, getting a, a sunburn and going home unchanged. The point is that we might take this and apply it in our own lives. So bring your own heart to Jesus this week. And let's take a moment now and pray. Christ. We're so often praying to you to swoop in and save us. And that's a good thing you often do. You love us so well. But give us eyes to see the parts that you're actually graciously unanswering the prayer that we might be brought to the point of letting go of that thing we think we need when you say all you need is my 
love, and presence. We look to you and we trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.